Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our mission fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Our study today continues from 2 Kings chapter 4 and the story of the Shunammite woman who has been promised a child, a son. The gift of that son, like many other examples in the Bible, is a precursor for the experience of salvation that God would give to those who believe in him. The child comes, but then a few years later, that same child dies. Again, there's a lesson in this, that the experience of God's salvation still can be attended by dark clouds of sin and death. But like that woman, we must learn not to lose heart in the face of that death. We must keep in mind that what God has promised, God will not take away. In our experience of those elements of God's saving grace, his reconciliation, his justification, his sanctification, his even preserving power of life, the way that that comes to us is that we experience salvation as peace that we never knew before and joy that we never knew before and a, a grounding and assurance in our life, a sense of purpose and ground that we've never had before. At that very moment, what opens up to us is a fellowship with God that we never realized and a fellowship with God's people that we'd never known before and a, a delight and a hunger for God's word and a newfound freedom and liberty in our conversations with God that we've not experienced before. We find ourselves losing interest in the things of the world and a growing, deepening affection for those interests that God has and the things of heaven. And Revelation 2.4 describes this experience. It says it's our first love. It's like a first love that springs up within us, awakening us to all these sensitivities. This is what happens when you encounter and you experience God's salvation and you're born again. And, and I'm telling you, as that mother held that little baby in her arm, God was pouring in these impulses within her. But Satan still comes in his attacks against us. And he will use anything and anyone in any season to draw us away from the promise and the privileges of our salvation. And when... The darkness of disappointment and discouragement and defeat come back upon us again. Having known the light, having owned this light, how much more dark things seem to be when death once again comes creeping to our threshold. The psalmist knew something of this bleak and blue discouragement when the excitement and the thrill of his salvation began to fade and darkness began to creep back into his life. In Psalm 42 in the first four verses, he writes of the experience of having the joy of his salvation turned back into sadness. He writes, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God and with a voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. It's not happening now. He's broken by it. William Cowper wrote a series of hymns called The Only Hymns, and they were sung in the church of John Newton, who was the pastor of his church, but he's the person who wrote that popular hymn we sing, Amazing Grace. Cowper's first hymn in the only hymns that he presented to his church has this line or these lines to sing. 
This is what the church sang together. Listen to it. It's, you know, we oftentimes only want to sing the good stuff. And Cowper taught them that part of what God has us to speak and sing are even the sorrowful things. Here are the lines to the first hymn he wrote for them. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed. How sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void the world can never fill. It's almost worse than what it was before. When I was in the world, I got a little bit of happiness out of it. Now there's no happiness in the world and I'm not experiencing happiness with you right now, God. That bundle of boy, that bundle of joy and promise, one morning walks out into his father's field and suffers some kind of brain stroke. He's carried back by one of the servants and laid in the lap of his mother. She holds him there throughout the morning until the noon hour, and he dies in her lap. How upsetting is that? When the promised gift of life seems to die in your lap. Let's interrupt the scene for just a moment. Let's go to the end of the story. The boy is going to be raised out of death. He's going to be returned to his mother. He will be wonderfully restored. Elisha, the prophet, is going to be compelled to go to him. Elisha, through whom God has given this promise to the Shunammite woman who represents God's word before her, returns to the place where she had ministered to him. He finds the little boy in the room that had been built for him, laying upon the bed that had been put aside for him. There Elisha will lay out upon that little boy. He'll put his mouth over his mouth, his eyes over his eyes, his hands over his hands. Then Elijah will get up and walk about the house. He'll pray for him and intercede for him. Then he'll lay upon that boy's body again and the body will warm. The little boy will sneeze seven times. His eyes will open. Here's the third thing. Keep this in mind. What God has promised, what God has given, he will not take away. Regardless of your experience, regardless of what's going on in your life, what God has promised and what God has given, he will not take away. Your salvation is secured in the promise of God that you received when you repented and believed in him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 gives us that promise. It says this is the testimony of promise that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life and whoever has not the son has not life. John goes on to write in verse 13, These things I write to you who have believed in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I remember one of the sweetest moments when that, when that verse dawned upon me. I was in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, in a little remote part outside the city. A little boy had been hounding me as I was going through the neighborhood with a brother from the church that we were working with, and we were sharing the gospel in the homes in this village. And this little boy kept tugging on my pants, wanting me to speak to him. He was probably about 10 years old or 8 years old, and I had, I had told everybody we weren't going to do child evangelism. We were going to reach moms and dads, and so let's not stop and give candy out. Because if you did, if, I mean, if you gave a piece of gum to one little kid in that village, you would have been, you would have been overwhelmed with a tidal wave of youths you know, seeking for it. So let's just ignore him, and so I'm ignoring this little guy. All morning long, he's pestering me. I'm ignoring him all morning long. Finally, at some point in time, I decide to stop and talk to him. I, I tell my uh, translator, listen, you've been with us. We've visited a number of people. You kind of know how we're sharing with people. Why don't you go into this home and talk to the people yourself, and I'm going to sit outside and I'm going to talk to this little boy. Let's talk to the little boy. 
I can't speak Spanish, but at the time I could read it fairly well, and I had a little track before me, and I was able to go through the track and find a few little words to explain it to him, and we looked up Bible verses, and I, I took him through a presentation of the gospel. And this little boy, whose name was Giovanni, prayed over the words, a prayer to receive Jesus into his heart as his Savior and to believe in him. And you don't know if he understands it or not. I can't really dialogue with him. I can't understand what he's saying. But then I took him to 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. This is the testament that God has given his son. And whoever has the son has life. Whoever has not the son has not life. And so I asked him in my broken Spanish, where is Jesus right now for you? And his response was, he's in mi corazón. He's in my heart. I said, oh, so what do you have if you have, if you have in your heart? Do you have the son? He goes, yes, I have the son. Next question was, well, if you have the son in your heart, what else do you have? He looks at the past and he says, life. I said, what kind of life? He looks back at the passage and he, he jumps up and he says, life eternal, vida eterna. And then he jumps up and down a few times and he runs off down a pathway. Around the corner, he disappears from me. It's the strangest thing. I went in and we finished our conversation with the people in the home we were in. About a half hour later, we start walking out and we're leaving the village to go back for the night. And all of a sudden, we hear a voice and we look behind us and it's a woman calling us and it's Giovanni's mother. And he's holding onto her leg and she's asking us to come to her house. My son has told me that you've shared with him how that he can have eternal life, all of his sins forgiven and have eternal life. And we want to know what that message is. Went back to his home. I found his grandmother there. His father had broken his leg and his father was on a pallet before us and the mother and we had a wonderful conversation. Now I had a translator, so there was dialogue and we could receive the conversation with one another and the family bowed their head and gave their life to Christ. And, and I'd given Giovanni a copy of that little track I had with a little pin and there were questions that were asked with little yes-no marks that you could mark with a pin. So the rest of the week, whenever I was walking to the village, I'd see Giovanni on some stone wall or along some path with three or four kids before them and he'd be asking them those questions. <laughs> He's taking them all through it. By the end of the week, in the evenings, we were having a service at this little church on the very last night I was there. I certainly saw this. There was a little stream from the village down across the stream up to where the little church was. All of a sudden, I saw this little stream of uh, bodies coming down from the village where we're going to have the service. And then I realized that the lead of it was Giovanni, and there were like 40 little kids following him that came into the church that night. Anyhow. This is the testimony that God has given us to eternal life, and this life is in His Son. God has promised it. It's ours. We may claim it. Satan will surround us with discouragement and disappointment, and once his battering over our lives seems to be moving us into despair, he doesn't lighten up. He pounds away, and he'll tell you to give up. He'll tell you that the promise is dead in your lap, but he's a liar. God's promises are sure, and they're true, and you can rest in him and in the promises he gives you even in the darkest moments. John the Baptist was cast into Herod's prison. I'm sure he had dreamed of being at the right hand of the Messiah when he was announcing his coming. He dreamed of watching the Messiah establish his rule and reign over the nation of Israel. And that hope was even stirred into him stronger and stronger when he began to preach the message that was declaring that the people needed to prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah. And the people of the nation of Israel began to respond to it. And the Bible tells us that all of Jerusalem and all of Israel was coming down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. They were immersing themselves. He was immersing the rivers of the Jordan. And they were basically saying, God, we need to be clean and right before the Lord when he comes. And he was seeing himself at the center point and at the head of this 
surging move of the people towards the coming of the Messiah. And he was there when the Lord Jesus came and he baptized the Lord Jesus. And when he baptized the Lord Jesus, he saw the Holy Spirit come down upon him like a dove and he saw the heavens opened up and he heard God himself speaking out from a cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. How exciting that had to have been. What sense of anticipation What dreams were sparked in John at that moment? But now, John is in Herod's prison and dungeon. You know, at the moment that he saw this and he he baptized the Lord Jesus, he knew at that moment that Jesus was coming to the center stage and that he was going to have to fade into the background, but he didn't know that he was going to have to fade away altogether. When he's in that dungeon, he begins to doubt and he begins to wonder. There being neglected, There, all that he had done up to this moment being seemingly forgotten, he sends messengers to the Lord Jesus, and he shares his doubts. They come to Jesus. Jesus, John has a question for you from his dark dungeon. Here's the question. Are you the Christ, or do we look for another? It seems almost impossible to have doubts like John had when John experienced what John experienced and saw what John saw. But then again, wait till you're in his dungeon. Wait till you're in that moment. Wait till when the promise of life seems to be dying in your own lap. The feelings are real, but the promise is more real. The greatest reality is the promise of God, and you remember that. If you've repented and set yourself down upon the finished work of Jesus Christ by faith, all is well. Rest in God's promise. Thanks for listening today to the Bread of Life. To find out more about this ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org or traincpe.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.